0: From SoftChoice, this is The Catalyst, the podcast that is shining a light on the human side of IT and reframing our relationship to technology. I'm your host, Erica Van Noort. Thanks to a booming e-commerce market and mobile apps, shopping has gotten so much more convenient. These days, I rarely need to leave my home, returns and refunds are way less of a hassle, and I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. According to a recent study from Statistics Canada, consumer behavior has shifted so much since the pandemic started that it's actually thrown off the inflation index. All of these changes have had some significant pros and cons for retailers though. While it meant accelerating their online business and oftentimes more revenue, it's also challenged them to rethink what a unique customer experience looks like, both in-store and online. Were all these modifications to accommodate digital shopping just a Band-Aid solution? Or are they actually here for good? E-commerce isn't something that just appeared when the stay-at-home orders were put in place. It's been around for years in various iterations, and someone who's been watching its growth for a long time is Michael LeBlanc. Michael is a veteran in the retail marketing space and focuses his consulting work on the rise of e-commerce. He co-hosts the Remarkable Retail podcast and has plenty of keynote speaker appearances under his belt. As the Senior Retail Advisor at Retail Council of Canada, plus all these notable accolades, it's safe to say Michael is the perfect person to talk about the ups and downs retailers have faced since the pandemic began. My producers tell me you actually sold the world's first ever pair of jeans online, so there's got to be a story there.
1: Well, there's definitely a story there. It's actually the first pair of Levi's jeans sold online. Cast your mind back to the late the 90s when they were talking about the disintermediation of malls and, and retailers were going to be in trouble. Why would you ever go to a retailer if you could just buy direct? Uh, and that's that was the approach. And we, we set up a site. There was no search. And there was no Google to prime the pump. There was very little in the way of getting people to shop online. It just kind of happened organically. You know, we launched the site with great flourish, at least internally. Days go by, one day, two day, three day, four, no sales, zero. Called up a friend of mine. They say, for God's sake, would you just buy a pair of jeans for me? I got, I got this gig and I just started this thing. And he goes, okay, I'll buy a pair of jeans. And all right, rang the bell. We sold the first pair of jeans. And then I went to the, literally the closet where our inventory was. And there's no inventory, it was all gone like of everything we were trying to sell. And sure enough, what had happened is a retailer was a bit short on their order, so they took all my inventory and gave it away. So I actually got in the car and drove to Sears and bought the jeans off the shelf to bring back to the Levi's to ship to my friend. That's the story of the first Levi's Strauss jeans sold in the world.
0: So let's fast forward to now in this really crazy time we've just lived through the pandemic. What were some of the biggest changes that you saw thanks to the pandemic from a retail perspective?
1: If you were a grocer, if you were in pharma, if you were selling home improvement, if you were selling anything that helped us all live through the COVID era and adjust the way we work, play, shop, and learn, you did pretty well. On the other side, you had fashion retailers. Mostly lifestyle fashion because some fashion retailers did just fine. If you think of activewear like a Lululemon, did just fine. Uh, they had a tremendous headwind in front of them. You know, sales are off 30 40% or more. I spoke with uh, global strategist, Roger Martin, and he talked about his advice to retailers was to consider consumer behavior as decaying assets on your balance sheet. What they did before the pandemic and what they do now is likely going to be different. The final thing, and there's many, many things, but the final big thing is the great acceleration, which is e-commerce probably moved forward five years in this country. You know, it was always growing. It was always heading in that direction. Double-digit growth in the before time 2019, about 16% growth of what I call core retail goods. And now we've, we've seen this tremendous acceleration in categories like grocery and home improvement, to really across the board. And we'll see how much of that, uh, how much of that sticks likely. COVID put the you know foot to the gas pedal but it probably didn't put a brick on the gas pedal in other words the pace of e-commerce growth and transactions today is not really reflective of the true behaviors because we have yet to understand where the waterline is kind of going to settle out in terms of e-commerce as a percentage of core retail
0: So let's talk a little bit more about some of the barriers and challenges in retail tech that are still keeping us from getting back to business as normal. So, Michael, can you give me an idea of what's going on here?
1: Well, I think I think there's—I uh, won't call them cultural barriers, but they're pragmatic barriers, and it all depends on the type of retail you were. So let's let's parse out retail a little bit. There are some retailers who are just. You know, they were chasing inventory. They weren't chasing sales. They were just trying to keep up. They were trying to keep their people safe, their customers safe. And then there's a group of retailers who were just trying to stay liquid and solvent. The barrier was you now have people who have been working incredibly hard for the mission. Get through the COVID era. For some, they had to prioritize projects that they never thought or understood. They'd have to prioritize everything from bandwidth uh, to just, just... taking the punishment that the massive amount of changes of behavior did. What we saw from consumers was uh, the number of trips they took to retail plummeted. However, when they went there, their basket sizes were massive. Like it threw all the algorithms off. Nobody had ever seen it before. So this is where the AI models didn't work. I mean, AI models were built on decades, huge amounts of predictive power. It couldn't predict it, right? They had no predictive model for a global pandemic that would change consumer behavior. So... Back to your question about the barriers. I mean, the barriers are there's been a lot of work delayed. There's been tremendous changes. Priorities have been changed. If there's barriers uh, in one camp, it's literally money. The CapEx has been spent. It is very expensive to operate a retail store in the COVID era, even for those that were benefiting. You saw their profits go down. It's been 18 months of nonstop changes from a policy perspective and accommodating and we're wave one wave two wave three we're coming out of it masks no masks and so we got to figure out these priorities the priorities probably have changed um the capital has been kind of taken up by physical and other priorities but you know as we begin to resolve and get back to whatever next or normal looks like i think there's uh, there's tremendous opportunities you know to recover To have the great recovery and to to recalibrate and understand where the business needs to go next.
0: So I've heard that uh, I've heard you and some of your guests talk on your podcast about the last mile problems and which always isn't what we think of when we're thinking about retail technology and evolution. So can you tell us about these issues and why they matter to retail CIOs? Yeah, I think the
1: the last mile you know, for the listeners who may not be uh, as familiar is really how to get the product to the doorstep. Now, that has evolved to be multifaceted. That could be how to get the product to a storage locker on site. That could be how to get it behind a counter. That could be how to get it to your trunk at a curbside pickup. But when you have five years of acceleration in one, e-commerce isn't just about technology. It's about things. It's about people. It's about people putting products on the doorsteps this so-called last mile uh was tremendously challenged now where that has impacted the cios is many retailers were relying on one maybe two partners likely two partners to do that i talked to retailers who now have eight nine partners to do that because the 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 landscape has just become incredibly complex At the same time, you've got a new dimensions to it. So in the before time, you would have, maybe you'd have like a Canada Post and a pure later responsibility. You would have to handle tech integrations, back and forth signals, waves and loads with your DC and your your distribution center and customer service and, and inventory and all those things. Now you could have eight of those. You could have Instacart doing some same day. You could have other couriers because there's just, you can't overnight build the kind of warehousing and capacity volume that we had and that we've seen in this leap forward. I mean literally Canada Post head of logistics said it was nine years ahead of where they wanted to be in terms of having the warehouse, the people. You know, there's an old saying, right, you you can't build a church for Christmas. For retail CIOs, the complexity went up geometrically because they instead of having to deal with the day-to-day integrations updates, whatever, of a couple of providers, they now have Some have almost just under a dozen providers. And if you stretch that out across the country, it could be even more. And then let's not forget, when we talk about all of this, we should also think about reverse logistics. Equally important. Returns are a reality of retail, and returns on e-commerce are organically higher than they are in traditional retail. And this reverse logistics is even more complex, and what I see as consumers demanding the same degree of flexibility in their returns as they have come to expect in the delivery.
0: And yet again, it goes back to that customer experience piece to say, how do you create that seamless customer experience um, both ways, both getting it to you and getting it back when you don't want it? Off the top of the show, I gave you a bit of an idea of what my retail therapy looks like these days. While I might not be out and about as much, it still exists. I mean, being locked down at home for so long, a girl's got to treat herself, right? Well, I was curious to hear how my colleagues' shopping habits have changed too, and if they felt like they could actually splurge on an online purchase. So what's one thing you bought yourself this last year when you were in the pandemic that you never thought you would buy yourself?
1: An espresso machine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of our soft choice colleagues was... uh on t- Teams with me on a Friday afternoon and telling me that she just bought herself a Dolce & Gabbana Smeg toaster. Wow. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. So she showed it to me. And then sure enough, within about an hour and a half, I found myself on the Bay's website, not buying a Dolce & Gabbana one, but I did buy a Union Jack Smeg toaster. And that was like the highlight of like a whole month for me in, this, in the pandemic.
2: So I, I, <laughs> I've been surprised that What I was most excited about this last year, about when I bought this uh, belt massage, back belt massage, Uh, (laughs) and I was like, I'm using it every day, you know, like, and I was like, oh my God, this is the momentum of my life these last days, you know, like, (laughs) so I've been really surprised about that.
0: So I'm going to assume that most of you have had the box with the smile delivered to your door, if not once, twice, three times, four times a month um how have your purchasing habits changed as a result of the pandemic
1: we've really shifted actually to a subscription model here at, at our household so when i think about diapers and um and different deliveries um paper towel toilet paper we want to take out the the mental effort we just want it to be automated and come to us and just send us a reminder even like picking up groceries just having someone do it for us and we go and we just pick it up in the parking lot right like a lot of that has shifted for us and even once things start opening up more, I, I think it, my habits have shifted for good.
2: Yeah, I haven't been inside a physical grocery store more than three times in 2021 so far. Um, you know, I started buying meat from my local butcher shop. They've got a web portal where you can just like, and they'll drive it to your house. But what I was missing is like uh, the browsing. So like the store I used to frequent all the time when I, before the pandemic, I went down down there to like kind of wander around and they still weren't ready to do uh, walk-ins. So I what they wanted was for me to go on their website, order and pick it up. And so I was like, they're missing out on, and I'm missing out on the experience of like going in there without a particular thing in mind, discovering something that I didn't know I wanted, but now I want it and I'm going to buy it, right? The online thing demands that you know exactly what you want unless the browsing experience is simulated very well on their online platforms. Yeah, and for me, you know, it's I do fewer but larger purchases than I once did. I'm more decisive. It's forcing a more decisive kind of choices there is the browsing is something that that those online organizations need to figure out
0: what are some of the things as a result of the pandemic from a retail point of view that you would like to see continue
2: I think for certain things I, I tried uh, new groceries for those bigger shops I will continue the bigger shops. Um, interesting. I tried one grocery where the robots actually select your your goods. Um, you know, pros, it's certainly efficient and simple. And I've done repeat orders. You know, the downside of that was all the, there was too much packaging, right? And I think the Amazon orders, this is not a new thing for, for many, but the amount of packaging that uh, had come with all the online shopping is something we need to deal with. I had to ask my landlord to get us a second recycling bin because the amount of recycling we were generating from A, ordering stuff and B, cooking every meal or eating all of our meals inside the house, like doubled, it literally doubled our recycling.
1: You know, I think, I think the overall theme needs to be agility from a vendor perspective. It is, it is how can I build something that is both solid and can take the punishment and variety of demands we don't know this is the thread consistent through our conversation we don't know all the answers about how consumer behavior is going to change how much regression will to the mean will be how many people will go back to the workplace how much will people continue to shop e-commerce and online we don't know so you better be agile because it could be more than you think it could be less than you think they could want to do they could want live stream they could want in interactive live stream retailers will go where where consumers lead them. We're just not quite sure today the difference between what is an accommodation for the unusualness of the COVID era and what is a permanent structural change to both consumer behavior and the retail environment.
0: So what innovations from the pandemic do you think are here to stay? So I I think
1: innovation gets back to how people shop. So uh, social media takes a bigger role E-commerce definitely takes a bigger role. The expectations of less friction goes up, not down. I do think, though, that the biggest innovations are yet to be seen. I mean, listen—you got suddenly millions of people working at home. Great cultural innovations, changes in mindset—all those things happen. From a technological perspective, I think you've, you haven't, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because, as I said, many retailers are like, "Oh my God, I just got to get my product on a boat in China." That's my focus or, oh my goodness, I got to pay my rent and my stores are closed. So, you know, let's just figure that out first and then we'll start really digging in. And, and you know, I advise many retailers when they, when they think about their technology solutions or platforms, you know, have your existing vendors repitch you. Chances are there's a bunch of things that you already own that you're not using or you didn't see the use for, or maybe it's been improved in the past 18 months. That's a great starting place. Really, we're on the beginning, you know, we're on day one of the journey.
0: So, Michael, so we don't usually have a guest on our show who isn't a tech leader. So here's a good opportunity for us to get a fresh take. So can you share any advice or tips for the CIO or the IT leader in the retail space from your perspective?
1: Well, I think number one is is agility. I think from my perspective, being able to predict or think you can predict what comes next uh, I think we've all figured that's not the best strategy. So you need to in whatever way works is to figure out agility. If that's a, if that's more iterations on the same project plan, ultimately, many of these project plans are going to get disrupted because the consumer behavior is going to change in ways we again, we don't exactly understand. So how do you plan for that? Well, you you plan to be agile. And listen, ultimately, if you're the if you're the CIO of an organization, of course, you've got to worry about cybercrime. That's unfortunately has taken on a whole new level, uh, you know, as we're at home, so are the criminals. Uh, so, yeah, the, you know, the, the calls or tasks on CIOs have not decreased. <laughs> They've gone up. The best CIOs will help their business, their colleagues understand uh, the, the landscape, either it's the threat landscape or more positively. The land of opportunities, where it fell short during the pandemic, where it was tested and failed. Uh, AI, I think, did not stand well in many circumstances because the changes were so massive. That will that will change. I'm still a big believer that AI has probably the most transformative benefit to retail in the days, uh, years, and months to come. And really, that you know does get back to testing, trying the agility, and waiting to see how the consumer changes and staying as close as possible to your colleagues as we all try to understand what next looks like.
0: That's great. We talk a lot about how the CIO and the IT leaders role has really changed through all of this and we used to be back office people and supporting from behind the scenes, whereas it was really a chance for the IT groups to be out front to lead some of this change. And I, you know, there's no conversation that could have taken place in any retail business without the CIO sitting at the table because everything had technology as a backbone in order to make it happen, make it possible, or to even determine if it was a reality for those businesses.
1: It's funny, right? You don't miss a thing until it's gone. Uh, when your website's crashed from too much volume, you're like that thing was pretty important, right? Who's who's in charge of that again? I'm I'm exaggerating, but you know when when tremendous pressures and again all the way down to things like basket size and POS, these things need to be bulletproof and agile at the same time. That's interesting, right? The two things need to work somehow together.
0: So Michael, when I think of some of the evolution with technology, I think prior to the pandemic, I remember when it was introduced that I could go into a grocery store and scan my own groceries um, so that I was, you know, self-serving. We've gone from self-serving to contactless through the pandemic, which is how do we reduce as much contact as possible from a safety and from a human element perspective? Where do you see that going? Like when we look to the future, what will stay with that? And where do you see that going if you have a crystal ball? It, you
1: know, it's a great question. I love to talk about automation in the store. And again, in the before time, self checkout, frictionless payments, tap, cashier less, cashless transactions were all present at different formats. If you think of the Amazon Go stores, uh, where that's the, you know, shop it like you stole it self-serve, right? You just walk in scan your phone, or now they're even testing biometrics to scan your palm, and you walk in and you walk out. It's great. They're actually trying to do that at scale now. And for those markets that are farther ahead, there's some parts in Sweden where they've got embedded chips in their hands for transactions. They They went to a completely zero cash market. It didn't work out. It's not working out. I I looked at this study, it was a fascinating study, and it compared generations on the checkout experience at a Costco store. So if you're in a Costco store, they do have some self-checkout, but by and large, you have a long, you know, moves well, you take your items and you check out, and then on the way out, someone kind of checks your bill and and gives you a wave and off you go. They talked to millennials, and millennials on a scale of 1 to ten, one being I can't stand that experience, 10 being that's a perfect experience, ranked it as a 1. Baby boomers ranked it as a nine. (laughs) Like there's a generational divide. And part of that generational divide is whether it's Gen Z or millennials, they've come to shop online. They expect the same kind of frictionless experience that they experience online in stores. They don't want to line up. They don't want to have any half any structure, any challenges with their payment types. They want to use 10 payment types. They want to use Today, they want to use Apple Pay. They want to do all these things together. So these worlds come together, but frictionless means different things in different places to different people.
0: Like Michael says on his podcast, physical retail is not dead, not even close. But there is a remarkable intersection that's been developed since early 2020 between digital and physical retail that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And the digital retail landscape is turning into something that feels right out of a 1970s sci-fi novel. Sure, we don't have flying cars yet, but Shop Like You Stole It and biotech payment methods feel pretty darn close. Regardless of how retail comes out of this pandemic, we know it won't be the same. The next step for retail and technology leaders is making it accessible for all. Well, season two of The Catalyst has come to a close, but don't worry, we've already got plenty of great stories about humanity and technology in the pipeline for season three launching this fall. Don't forget, If you enjoyed this season of the podcast, open up your browser app and take these two steps. Double check that you're subscribed and leave a five-star review. Tell us what you've loved about this season and what you'd love to learn more about next. If you're not on an Apple device, instead of leaving a review, please copy the link of this episode and share it with a friend or colleague. Your support really helps this podcast reach more ears. The Catalyst by Softchoice is a Pilgrim content production in collaboration with Softchoice. Our executive producer is Tobin Dalrymple. Our producer is Katie Lohr, with production assistance from Nicole Francis and Jessica Schmidt. Special thanks to our Softchoice team members who joined us on the show. Ryan, Rebecca, Chris, Christine, Robin, Molly, Sabina, Saraya, Braden, Brandon, Allison, and Nordine. Thanks so much again for joining me and my guests and colleagues this season. I'm Erica Van Noort, and I'll talk to you soon.